We're going to have a very special guest uh, that begins our mission series next week. His name is Fouad Masri. Uh, Fouad is a former Muslim, uh, founded and now is president of a ministry called Crescent Project. And he will be here uh, telling us about what in the world God is doing among Muslims and how we can be more of a part of it. Uh, another little interesting anecdote, perhaps, um, Fouad's wife, Lisa, was a Ball State student many years ago, and her roommate at Ball State attended Union Chapel at the time and kept coaxing her to come to church, and she did so a few times, and it began to take root and meaning in Lisa, Lisa's life. And so her roommate brought Lisa out to, uh, to our offices one, one afternoon, and I sat down with them, and Lisa was indeed very interested in the faith and taking her next step in her relationship with Jesus. And so I prayed with Lisa that afternoon to make Jesus the Lord of her life. And from that place, then she began to grow further in her faith. A few years later, met Fouad. And now the two of them have this, literally this worldwide ministry, equipping Christians all over the world to be effective among Muslim peoples. And it's a, it's a remarkable story. So Fouad will be here next, next week. You don't want to miss it. He, he's a very compelling speaker, and uh, you'll enjoy it very much. The second thing I wanted to mention was with regard to our book of the month, A Garland for Ashes. I don't know if we can put that, uh, that uh, picture back, the cover of the book, on the screen. This is George and Hannah Miley. And I want to introduce them to you if you don't know them. George and Hannah are a couple that I met uh, 23 years ago right on the heels of the first time that I uh, traveled internationally to see what in the world God was doing. George and Hannah worked for Operation Mobilization for over 20 years. They actually directed the mercy ships, the Lagos and Dulos. Maybe you've heard about these ships that go from port to port around the world providing um, care to people, basic human needs, and, and, and doing leadership development and so forth. Very, very capable a couple. The book, A Garland for Ashes, is an autobiography by Hannah. Let me tell you a bit of her story. And the reason I'm taking time for this uh, is because you'll be interested. Hannah was born the only child of a Jewish couple in Gemune, Germany, in the early 30s. When Hitler came to power, Hannah actually has a memory, a recollection of a, of a great parade that went right by her house on her street in Gemune, Germany, where Hitler was the feature in this, uh, this procession. She remembers seeing Adolf Hitler as a six-year-old girl. When Hitler's persecution of the Jews in Germany began, Hannah's parents realized that there was great danger, and so they took their little six-year-old daughter, Hannah, put her on a train, with some hundreds of other young Jewish children, all under the age of 12, and they, they, they shipped them all the way to New England, or to, to, uh, to, to England itself, and the United Kingdom, and there Hannah was raised by foster parents. Subsequently, all of her, all of her cousins, all of her aunts and uncles, and her parents, all perished in the Holocaust. Her parents, died in the camps, and all of her family. She's the only survivor from her immediate family. She was raised in England by foster parents, trained as an educator, was teaching elementary school in Holland as a 20-something-year-old uh, young woman. 
And one night, a friend of hers invited her to go to a church in Holland where they were piping via radio, this is in the 1940s now, via radio into this little church in Holland, uh, the Billy Graham crusade from London, England. And you can imagine these 1940s, these old-timey speakers and the crackling sound of the radio coming through. And Hannah and her friends sat in this little church in Holland, heard the gospel from Billy Graham for the first time, and through all of her pain and all of her woundedness and all of her bitterness as a young Jewish woman, she heard the gospel and said yes to Jesus. She became a Christian and then over the years felt called into the mission field, ended up in India where she met her husband George. George and Hannah married and they have had this life uh, on the mission field. George and, George and Hannah have served in all kinds of different capacities to influence the world for Christ and they have been instrumental in helping form the worldview and mission strategies that we've adopted here at Union Chapel. They have been central to my own sense of philosophy with regard to missions and so we owe them a great deal. They're, they're like spiritual parents to us in the regards to missions. So 50 years after Hannah had left Germany, she, she never could get herself to go back. There was too much pain, too, too, much, too many questions, too much wound. But 50 years later or so, she finally turned to George one day and she said, I think I'm ready to go back to Germany. So George took her back to Germany, back to her hometown of Gemünd, and Hannah didn't know if there would, was any way to retrace her family, to find out anything about them. She, she couldn't remember her parents very well, couldn't remember what they were like, remembers no members of her family. Uh, but they went to what they thought was the street she grew up on in Gemünd, Germany, and her, and her house was now gone. It was a different landscape. So they went door to door down the street. The third door they knocked on, an elderly woman opened the door. She was a woman in her 90s. And Hannah standing there said, uh, my name is Hannah, and then gave her a Jewish last name. And I've come back to Germany, and I was wondering if you knew my parents or you could tell me anything about my family. And she said, of course I can, Hannah. She said, I was your nanny when you were a baby. And she, she unfolded the story of Hannah's family. Now for the last decade or so, George and Hannah have returned regularly back to Germany and they are now leading reconciliation ministries in the heart of Germany, uh, leading the German people to come to terms with the Holocaust and to repent of those sins and to ask forgiveness and to find the reconciliation of their faith and the reconciliation of their heart. And it's an amazing thing. George tells it this way. He said, the devil looked down on Hannah and her family in all of Germany in those years and said, you can have that one and that one and that one and that entire family, but you can't have her because 50 years from now, I'm going to bring her back here to preach the good news of the gospel to the German people. That's Hannah's story. <laughs> Those are bits and pieces. That's the book. That's the autobiography. So I, I knew that I would add some context. To, to that opportunity. So I hope you'll grab one on the way out. It's a great read. And uh, these are precious friends of ours and we're thankful to know them. All right, thank you for bringing your Bibles with you this morning. Uh, all of that that I just used is time out of my sermon. So don't worry, we'll be finishing right on time. That's the deal. As, as your pastor, it is part of my responsibility to set the tone for our church and our organization 
And that's what I want to do today. I just want to rehearse with you just a little while this morning why we exist as an organization, what our mission is, and what our vision is, what, what galvanizes us and, and propels us forward together. And that's an important thing in any organization. Every organization should have a mission and should have a vision. We should know why we exist, why we're in business, what we're about, and we should know where we're going. And I just want to rehearse those things with you briefly this morning uh, because this is a message that will strengthen us as a church. Now, there's lots of different kinds of sermons. Some sermons are about discipleship, how to grow in your faith with Jesus. Some sermons are about pastoral care because everybody's needy, everybody's wounded, everybody's tempted, everybody needs to be healed, everybody's stressed. And those sermons, you know, always resonate. People say, thank you, that helped me. And some sermons are about that. This, uh, this sermon is, a, is about strengthening the church. It's about our life together. Because I don't know about you, but I want to be something, a part of something that's meaningful, that has vision and purpose and passion about it. Let me ask you this question. In your own individual life, would you rather live a life that has no purpose, has no passion, has no meaning, has no significance, or would you rather live a life that's on point, that has some goals, that is going somewhere with a sense of purpose, a sense of call, a sense of destiny? And, of course, the answer is, geez, I want to I live my life in a way that matters, you know, that's going somewhere and that ends somewhere, that outlasts me and has a significance about it. So that's why we're addressing this subject. We do so once in a while, and I know you appreciate that. So today's text is Philippians chapter 2. And I'm going to read the first 11 verses here. And as I read these verses for us this morning, put it in the context of our life together. Think, think, hear the scripture this morning, hear the scripture this morning as you imagine yourself as part of this organization, this local church, Union Chapel, and, and how God is calling us together and the attitudes we should have about that. All right? So Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, as you're able, as is our custom, I'll invite you to stand to hear God's word. Apostle Paul, writing the church at Philippi, he says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And may God inspire us today through his word. You may be seated. Thanks so much. Let me just uh, start by saying that life, life is about change. Life is about growth. Where you have vitality, you have growth, you have change. Without both of those things, we, we suffer, we stagnate. Gail Sheehy said it this way, if we don't change, we don't grow. There it is on the screen. If we don't grow, 
we're not really living. Growth demands a temporary surrender of security. It may mean a giving up of familiar but limiting patterns. Safe but unrewarding work. Values no longer believed in. Relationships that have lost their meaning. As that uh, Russian guy put it, taking a new step. <laughs> Uttering a new word is what people fear most. Dostoevsky. I just didn't want to show off. <laughs> you do have to practice it. It doesn't come out easily. But the real fear should be just the opposite. Do you have that statement from Leonard Sweet? From his book, Soul Tsunami? Since you were showing off with the PowerPoint? <laughs> Guess not. <laughs> Kabam! Look what he said. Postmodern culture is a change or be changed world. The, wor the word is out. Reinvent yourself for the 21st century or die. And of course, some would rather die than change. And you think of it, you hear that and you go, gosh, that can't be true, is it? That some people, folks would rather just diminish and die rather than change. <laughs> but listen, folks, that's what most people do. <laughs> they, refuse to, they refuse to change. They refuse to make the adjustments. And so individual lives stagnate, plateau, start to tail off. And organizations suffer the same fate. Because there's a failure to recognize the need to stay current and relevant and to make the changes necessary to continue to be influential and relevant in, in the context of our mission. And so in the life of the church, that's true as well. We have to be open to what God is saying to us so that we stay out on the edge and follow the Holy Spirit's leading so that we can have the greatest impact. Uh, one more, one more uh, statement from Teddy Roosevelt. I know a lot of you like President Theodore Roosevelt. He said, there's not yet been a person in our history who led a life of ease whose name is worth remembering. I like Teddy. He, gets, he just gets to it. So it's change, innovate, improve, or die. Now let me ask you, is it easy to make changes after you get to a place where you like it the way it is? Uh, it's not easy. But it's important and it's necessary. So here at Union Chapel, we want to continue to innovate. We want to be creative. We want to be on the edge. We want to consider what God is doing and find ourselves involved in that activity. And so in that context then, let's talk about our mission and our vision. Our mission is simply why we exist as an organization. This is why we open the doors. This is what we're about. This is our mission. And it's generalized and it's three-pronged. It's very simple. Number one, we want to help people know Jesus Christ, to empower people to know Jesus as Lord through the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. That's why, that's why we do what we do, to help people know Jesus. The second thing is to grow in our relationship with Jesus, experiencing growth and discipleship through worship and prayer and Bible study and fellowship, community involvement, service, missions, the kinds of activities that help us take steps toward a better understanding of who Jesus is and actually to help us conform to the, his image. And so we want to grow. It, it, should be the, it should be a value for all of us that as people of God that we want to more and more grow into the image of God, be more and more like Jesus. And so that's why we exist. That's our mission. Then thirdly, the third prong of our mission is to go, making Jesus known to others. We want to equip people to make Christ known through the reproduction of this process and others. So we have a three-pronged statement of mission. This is why we exist as an organization. We want to help people know Jesus, 
grow in their relationship with Jesus, and to go making Jesus known to others. Now, if someone asks you this week, what it, does, does Union Chapel have a mission? You can say yes. Three, all you have to do is remember three words. You can remember this. Know, grow, and go. You ready? Say it with me. Know, grow, and go. That's our mission. And it's all about Jesus. Know Jesus, grow in our relationship with Jesus, go making Jesus known to others. Oh, if you've been here for a number of years, I'm sure from time to time you say, I wonder what's going on with Union Chapel. <laughs> I go there, but I wonder, what, wonder what's going on. <laughs> there, have been, there have been opportunities like that when we're making some adjustments or some changes or trying some new things or whatever. But there's one thing that, that people who attend Union Chapel have never had to wonder about, and that's what we think about Jesus. We do not deviate from who we believe Jesus to be. We believe Jesus is the way, and he is the truth, and he is the life. We believe that he's the answer to your question. You ask the question, Jesus is the answer. Now that may sound simple and oversimplified, and perhaps so. Nevertheless, the ultimate truth is Jesus is the way. And so we look to Jesus as the author and finisher of our faith. Paul said it in our text today in Philippians. Uh, Therefore God has ex exalted him. And his name is above all other names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We believe in Jesus and we are followers of Jesus. And we say that without apology and, with, and without, without equivocation. We love Jesus and recognize him as Lord and our hope. Amen. So it stands to reason that our mission would be about him. To know him, to grow in our relationship with him, and to go telling others. Now, there are two things that hold people together in organizations. It's true in your family, it's true in your business, it's true in your school, it's true in the church. That things happen that galvanize people in their relationship in those organizations. One thing that does that is shared history. We live a while together, we do things together, we build memories and we refer to those things, we reminisce about those things, and it holds us together. Remember the good old days, and we reminisce, and we talk about that. You know, it's like a family reunion. And this happens in many organizations, and it really does hold people really securely together. Uh, you, your, some of your families are like that. I mean, your families are tight, and, and it's one for all and all for one. That's just the way it is. That's your family. You take care of each other, as, as it should be. And you have that because of shared history, and that's great. And that happens in the life of the church as well. The longer you linger, the more memories you build, and the more relationships uh, you build, the, the stronger you feel connected. And that's, and that's a good thing. But there's also another issue that brings people together, especially in a growing organization when you're including new people to that movement, because they have no, they have no history to share they're new. They just started coming. They're just now invested. They've not been here before. They don't know too many people yet. And so there's another thing that will galvanize us in a, in a movement like this, and that's shared values and a shared sense of vision. That is where we're going as an organization and what we're going to do to get there. And so anyone can join that organization along the way if you believe in the mission and you agree with the vision, the direction that we're going, because anyone at any time can lock up hand in hand, arm in arm, and move together toward that hopeful future. So vision is a very powerful thing in organizations, and it's especially true in the life of the church. King Solomon said it this way. He said, look, where there's no vision, the people 
perish. They're scattered. They're unrestrained. They just run wild. Where there is no revealed will of God, a vision, a picture of the future, where there's no vision, the people perish. And so what we want to remind ourselves is that where there is vision, and it is meaningful, and it is of God, and it is compelling, it unites us so that we can move forward together. Now at Union Chapel, we have what I think is a very, very compelling vision. And we use the word worship, W-O-R-S-H-I-P, the letters of that word as an acrostic kind of memory pegs to identify our vision. That is what we are going to do as we move together into the future. So let me just unpack that briefly and we'll be finished. The W in worship stands for win the lost, winning the lost. We want Union Chapel to be a church for the unchurched. We want Union Chapel to be a place where people, no matter your perspective, no matter your background, no matter your worldview, no matter your, your, your story, we want you as a minimal guarantee to feel loved, unconditionally loved, no matter what, just to love people, love you the way you are, to accept you just the way you walk in, whatever, whatever that is, whatever your, your profile, whatever your story, accepted, and thirdly, forgiven. I need help. I need grace. I need Jesus. You get it. You're forgiven. Love, accepted, and forgiven. That's the minimal guarantee that we want to give people because we want to be a church for the unchurched. We want to be a church where people can, can be healed and made whole and find hope for their lives and to be able to take steps in the right direction in their faith so that, so that God can begin the work of transformation in their lives. And so we want to win people and be winsome toward people. Now, I've gotten some pushback in the last uh, couple of years about the, the word lost, win the lost. We shouldn't call people lost. And, and see, I'm a little, little old-timey, but the word lost is actually a biblical word. And let me, let me just tell you what I was. I just, I'll just speak for myself. Just, I'm just talking for myself. What I was before I became a Christian, among other things, was lost. I was lost. I was undone. I was without hope. I was the guy asleep in a canoe. That's who I was. About to go over. Until Jesus found me. Now I'm no longer lost. Now I'm found. I'm no longer blind. Now I can see. So you see those are biblical phrases. And so that's why we use that phrase in our vision statement. We want to win lost people. And that's what we want to do. We've done that and we will continue to do that. Now, the, the O in our vision statement stands for outreach to each unique, unique generation. Now, here's what. Without bias, without prejudice, we want, to, we want to acknowledge every unique kind of person and particular reference to generational differences. But regardless of your race, your gender, your age, your, your, your creed, we want to accept you without bias and say to you, look, we want to reach you. We, we want to include you. We don't want to exclude anyone. And so that's what we are going to do together. That's our vision. We want to outreach to each unique generation. I mentioned last week that any time in history the church has tried to polarize people generationally or otherwise with one of the isms, it always fails. 
And so what we want to be is a champion of intergenerational life. We want to we say to an older generation, we value your perspective, we value your experience, we value your worldview, and we want to say to an emerging generation, a younger generation, we also know that you're seeing the world a little differently and sometimes a lot differently, and so we need to hear from you as well. So we want to, we want to, to blend and merge and commingle generationally so that everybody wins. Because when you try to separate generationally, it always weakens and diminishes both. It stands to reason, doesn't it, that we need each other. And all in, it makes us stronger, it makes us better. So we want to have outreach to each unique generation. And, and, and so we're going to champion that cause. Now here's the R in our vision statement, and it stands for relevant worship. Relevant worship. Now this becomes, this becomes interesting because when you use the word relevant, it implies contemporary and you know, I, I like more traditional, and I, I, I like more pop, and, you know, I, my style is more. And so everybody's got an opinion. Uh, why don't we play any country music here at Union Chapel? <laughs> Some of you wonder. Others of you laugh. You see the problem? See the challenge? And so, so somehow we've got to try to find, find a happy place. <laughs> in there when we're, when we're considering style and, and colors and, and venues and all the things that, that come into worship. Here's what we want to try to achieve, though. Worship for us means to experience God. It means to serve God with praise and to allow God to meet our needs with his sufficiency. Worship just isn't a performance. It's not about us performing for God, people on a platform performing for people in the pew. It's not about that. It's, a, it's actually about intimacy with God. It's about the experience of God. It's about connecting with God. So worship should be thoughtful. It should be emotive. It should be, it should be joyful. It should be uh, the means by which I can connect with God in a more intimate way. Because that's what God wants. That's what worship is about. It's about giving God what he deserves and allowing God to help us with what we need. Because that's his good pleasure to do that. He wants connection with us. Uh, and, and he wants to be in relationship with us. So that's what, we, that's what we attempt to do. We want it to be relevant, and we continue to strive for that. I thought, for example, this morning, I thought the music part, portion of our service was just delightful. I thought it was meaningful. I thought, it was, I thought it, the selections were good and on point. I thought the, I thought the musicians were excellent. The vocalists were excellent. I just, I just thought it was great. Now, but let me just say this. This isn't my preference. Personally, when I was 28 years old and, the, and I, was, I was younger and most of the folks in our church at the time were older, we did what I wanted because I was trying to reach people like me at the time. And so the best way I know to reach people like me is to do things I like because there's a bunch of other people like me who like what I like. And so I just did what I like. But now that I've gotten a little bit older and... and and there's a, a, an emerging difference in style and worldview with regard to worship. Now I have to, as an older person, I have to say, okay, now what's best for the whole? How can I accommodate the needs of the next? And how can I lean that way, even though I have preferences? So I'm just telling you, you don't blame me. <laughs> this isn't what I like. 
It wouldn't be my preference. I mean, I'm wearing jeans for crying out loud. I do so almost every week now. You know, for about 20 years, I never owned a pair of jeans. When I was 30-something, I wore a suit and tie to work every day. My life has been completely upside down. I started old, uh, and now I'm getting younger. Very strange. What was, it, what was that movie, The Amazing something Buttons? What was his name? Yeah, Benjamin Buttons. I must be Benjamin Buttons. Except for the physical part. <laughs> so we want to be relevant. That's our vision. We're, we're really try at this. We're working at this. And so I, th I think you appreciate that because we want to include and bless and help, and help people. Now here's the H in our vision statement. And that stands for home groups. Now we call them small groups. And we call them small groups now, but it doesn't start with the letter H. It wouldn't fit in the acrostic. So we call them home, home groups. <laughs> But we believe in face-to-face -face fellowship. You know, and, and Pastor Jeff mentioned that we're having a connection event in a couple of weeks. Pay note to that because everyone needs to be connected because when we do life together in a face-to-face -face kind of environment where real genuine relationships develop, that's when life tr transforms and where we get the nurture and the support and encouragement we need and the accountability we need. And all of us need it. Some of you may be new to Union Chapel and I can predict the future for you. Right now, Union Chapel may be the best thing that you've ever discovered. I can't believe this has been in, our, in my town. I didn't even know it was here until recently. And, you know, that guy preaches, and it's just like he's preaching right to me every week. I, and I love the music. I love the venue. I love everything about it. I can't wait till next weekend. It's just awesome. Let me just uh, predict your future. If you don't connect in a meaningful way with others in the life of the church, you won't last. Because nobody does. Now, having said that, you know, I don't want to shove you too hard and make you panicky I, because maybe you're new and we've discovered over the years that a lot of people come into Union Chapel and they've, they've got some wounds or some pain or they've been through some crisis. And what we've observed over the years is that Union Chapel, there's something about our culture here that's actually conducive to promote healing and recovery and restoration to people's lives. And it could be that you need some time because, you're, you know, you still have an open wound somewhere and you're just not ready to, you know, get chummy with people you don't know right now. And so you need some time. And I appreciate that. And I get that. Having said that, though, and, and to try to be sensitive to you, what I, I hope you'll hear me say at some point you have to connect relationally with others. Because that's the way God wired us. And you have to take the risk to involve yourself in those kind of relationships. So that's our vision. That's what we're going to do. We're going to keep promoting that. And that's just the way it is. Now here's the I in our vision statement, and that stands for impacting the church. Now, here's what we mean by that. Just in a general way, we want to be a blessing to anyone else anywhere else. Let me give you an example. A few weeks, just a few weeks ago, one of my good friends here in town, uh, an African-American pastor, called me and said, we're having some trouble with our, with our worship facility. We may need a place to meet temporarily in the winter months, the cold weather months. Uh, could you help us? And so I invited him here, and we went through our campus and so forth. I talked to our staff and just asked the question, what spaces do we have? Maybe we could let them worship here. And we, we gave them some parameters and some spaces, and this is what we'd be willing to let you use. And he considered that. Then I called our district office, the United Methodist Church, 
Because here's what I know. It's, it's a sad part of our story, but it's true that there are Methodist churches, uh, at least a handful of them, sitting in various places in Muncie that are virtually empty on Sunday morning. I, I know it's a sad commentary, but it, they are. There's just a handful of people that show up there, and God bless them. They're, you know, they've kept the doors open, and they're God-fearing, and they're trying their best, and that's all good. But, you know, they've got a building that's open and available. Maybe they could accommodate, so I made those connections. The point I'm trying to make is when people call here to, to get help, we help them. We want, we want all the churches in the community and any churches we have contact with to be life-giving and to be life-affirming. We want them to grow. If every church in Muncie, Indiana was full and overflowing this morning, listen, there's still tens of thousands of people outside of the, the ministry of the church in our community. We don't need less churches. We need more. We don't need less people attending church. We need more people attending worship service. And so we want to impact the church and bless people the best we can to be the best they can. Now here's the last point, and that's practical ministry. Practical ministry, and it is what it implies. You're all familiar with the special activities we do to serve, the serve week. You know, we spend a whole week, hundreds of our kids, and go out in various venues in the city to bless others in our community. You know, community service day, we, uh, we go out on that day in the spring and clean up one of the neighborhoods in town, help with that. It's just practical ministry. Last week you saw a video from one of our prisoners, uh, Ted Jarvis, who talked about this new ministry forming called Random Acts of Service. And that apparently was compelling to you because about a hundred of you signed up to be part of Random Acts of Service. I just thought that was fantastic. And dozens and dozens of others of you signed up for other kinds of ministries in the life of our church last week. Pardon me just a second. And that's great. Yesterday morning, there were a bunch of you that signed up to come and beautify our grounds and to trim the hedge and rake the leaves and put down mulch. And the place looks beautiful. Thank you for, for doing that. But we're all about practical ministry. And, there, and, and really, you don't know the half of it. We have a benevolent fund in the life of our church. There are people here on a regular basis who sign up to try to get aid, you know, for anything from getting a ramp built on their front porch for their wheelchair access to paying their utility bill. And we do that all the time. Single moms who we find out about, you know, and, and living on the edge and right on the margin and making sure they've got a new furnace in their house before winter or a new roof over their head. Those kinds of things happen all the time. And I think it matters. I think it matters because this is what Jesus would do. We want to be about practical ministry. And we do that here locally and we do that all the way to Kazakhstan, meeting basic needs of people, orphans along the way. It's awesome. And it's really cool to be part of that. That's what we do. So this is who we are. Why we exist is to know, grow, and go in our relationship with Jesus. And our vision together, what we do together, is we want to worship, we want to outreach to each unique generation, we want to win the loss, we want to have relevant worship, we want to have strategic mission. And I want to just mention that for a moment. The S in our in our Vision statement stands for being strategic when we think about missions. And by strategic, I mean that we want to ask the questions, what is God doing? Where is he doing it? Who is yet to be reached? How can we be involved? And so whether that's local or global applications, we want to find a strategic way to reach people. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it's a philosophical mission outline, if you will, 
Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, And you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Now those, those are geographic designations, of course, from, uh, from original Palestine, uh, but we can use it philosophically. Jerusalem, if you will, same culture, same location. These are people just like us living in our neighborhoods. So we want to reach our Jerusalem by reaching people like us that we know and associate with in our businesses and our neighborhoods, our schools. And so we want to reach people in our Jerusalem. Judea is the same culture, but a little different, wider region. So just beyond our reach, but same culture. And so our Judea, in a philosophical, strategic way, when we think about missions, would be, for example, sending people from our church to Fort Collins, Colorado, like we did a few years ago, where Randy and Gay Craning have established Mountain Life Church and a beautiful fellowship there. So different, different region, but same culture. That's our Judea. Then Samaria, if you, if you know some Samaritan history, that was... That was the same region, but different culture, different racial mix, different culture, different linguistic. And so here's Samaria that are, that are same region, but different culture. And for us, strategically, as we think about uh, philosophically, this is the work we do in the inner city with blood and fire and with community centers and neighborhood outreaches and those kinds of things to make a difference in our own region, but a different culture or Samaria. And then the last piece is the uttermost parts of the earth. Of course, you know, that's where we think about Kazakhstan, Central Asia, the other side of the planet. So this is not only beyond our region, beyond our immediate grasp, but it's a different culture. So it's a different place and different culture, different people. So that's the uttermost parts. So Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts. So we want to have strategic missions. Again, asking the question, what is God doing? Where is he doing it? Who is yet to be reached? How can we be involved? Every Christian and every church should be strategically and intentionally involved in fulfilling the Great Commission. And so we want to be part of that. That's our vision. That's what we're going to do. Let me just end with this story. Late 19th century, there was a fabulous orator in England named Charles Spurgeon. Great preacher. He, he pastored at All Souls Church in London. And All Souls Church became a mega church of the day, if you will. And Charles Spurgeon was a, a fabulous intellect and communicator of the gospel. And the story is told that a famous atheist of the day informed his friends that he was going to All Souls Church the next weekend to listen to Charles Spurgeon preach. And his, his cronies, this atheist cronies, ask, well, why? And they, you know, they ask incredulously, why in the world would you want to go listen to a guy? You don't believe what he's saying. And the famous atheist quipped, he said, no, I don't believe what he's saying, but he believes what he's saying. And that's interesting. Here's my question. Do people believe what you're saying? By the way you live and give and act and react? Are you authentic as a person of faith? And that's really the challenge, isn't it? To be authentic, to be real. Well, I think that... Uh, being part of a church like Union Chapel is something that can make a difference in your life to help you take the steps necessary to find a level of maturity, to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, which makes a difference in the world in which you live so that when you live and give and act and react, what you do and what you say actually reflects the nature of Jesus Christ so that people are drawn to him 
even people far from him, strangely drawn to him. Could I just say this in conclusion, that being part of this church has been the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. I mean, when it, when it comes to a sense of purpose, a sense of meaning in life, being part of this church is the greatest blessing, the greatest opportunity that God's ever given me, outside of my family. It's just the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. And I know some of you would have the same thing to say, that the opportunities that what God has done through the life of this church in your life has mattered, really mattered. In your life, your marriage, your family, your career, it's mattered. Here's what I can say without any hesitation, that being part of something that God is using and God is actively involved in really matters in your life. And so I invite you to consider this mission that we're on, this vision that God's given us. I think it's a compelling vision. And something that I say, you've heard me say many times, and I'll say it again this morning as we conclude. No matter where you are in your story, if you're following Jesus, and as we follow Jesus here at Union Chapel at this point in our story, here's what we can say with full and utter confidence. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. That's the promise that God makes to all of us. He has plans for us, plans to give us hope, plans to give us a future. So come along, join the vision, join the mission, and we will see what Jesus has in mind. Amen? All right, would you stand with me? Let's pray. Lord, thank you this morning for your word and for this wonderful model that Jesus represents to us. God, help us to be one in mind, one in spirit, unified around the themes of love and grace. Lord, we pray, oh God, that you would minister to each one of us that you would give us each one a sense of purpose, a growing sense of destiny. That as we uh, enjoy the life of the church and participate, go all in to what you're doing in the life of this particular place, we thank you, God, that this mission would be clear and that our vision together would be compelling. So help us, God, to take each step as you put the light on the path. We will follow, we pray, in Jesus' name. Everyone said.